Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. I told Mitchell at the end of yesterday of uh, last week's sermon that I was the only one that was rooting for him to bomb. Um, <laughs> Because you know you don't want to you know you don't want to follow a good act, and unfortunately he did a fantastic job. So the pressure is is really on. Um, welcome, thank you, uh, thank you, Brandon uh, and Mercy Hill for giving me the opportunity. My name is Drew, as Brandon mentioned earlier. Um, I'm better known to many of you as Priya's dad, or Winter, or Mercy, or Judah's dad. Um, they are we we homeschool our kids. Um, and so, you know, we kind of starve them through the week, from, you know, from social interaction. So this is like prime feasting time for them. Uh, so you know many of them. Um, my, my second daughter, Mercy, her, her birthday was, was last month. And uh, for her birthday, we got her one of those, you know, those pull-up bars that, that hang uh, on the door frame. So this morning, I did some pull-ups. Now... Before you're too impressed, I only did five. That's all I could manage. Um, and I did them for two reasons. Uh, one is I wanted to use this sermon illustration. I didn't want the first thing to come out of my mouth to be a lie. Uh, that was the primary reason I did them. But I also, and this happens to me every once in a while, uh, every couple of months I have this desire to be more fit, more in shape, to exercise some more, Right? Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I'll go for a run or I'll do some push-ups or whatever the case may be. Um, but the reality is it never really lasts very long. Um, and, and the reason it doesn't last very long uh, is because, well, to be quite frank, my desire to sleep in or to maybe just watch the game or my desire to finish the entire pint of Ben and Jerry's strawberry cheesecake ice cream is greater than my desire to be chiseled, right? Um, desire is a great motivator. It's an engine that propels us. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the Protestant Evangelical Church uh, back in the 1600s, they, they came together and, and they wrote a, a confession of faith of what it means to be a believer uh, called the Westminster Catechism. And part of the Westminster Catechism, there was something called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was a question and answer kind of format um, that, uh, that was primarily for children to kind of memorize. Uh, and the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? What's man's purpose, in other words? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God, that is, to worship him, to obey him, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to desire him, to rest in him. Now, obviously, um, post-fall, uh, that desire is tainted, right? In fact, if you're new to Scripture, 
there is uh, essentially an entire book of the Bible that's dedicated to this idea, the book of Ecclesiastes, which starts off in chapter one that says, uh, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. A more recent poet recently wrote, I can't get no satisfaction, right? Um, some of you may have read in high school or college like I did, uh, a, a guy named uh, St. Augustine uh, who wrote a confession. He was a, uh, uh, he was a first century African theologian uh, and he, uh, he wrote this confession to God. And in that he, he writes, he prays, you have made us for yourself and our soul is restless until it finds its rest in you. This is actually the heart of sin, right? Is to aim, sin is, yes, it's doing bad things, but a more mature definition of sin is to aim our desires on something other than God to try to get satisfaction from our desires in something other than God. That could be our marriage, our family, a new toy, a new house, travel, success, status. So we end up in this chronic state of restlessness. Restlessness at best or frustration, anger, angst, disappointment, disillusionment, which leads us to this life of hurry, busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn, ironically, leads us to more restlessness. Even in the religious decline of the West, you rarely hear anyone bragging about breaking the Ten Commandments. You don't hear people say, uh, bragging about how many lies they told or, or the affair they had on their spouse or how disrespectful they were to their parents. Yet, regularly, even within the church, you do hear people talk about how many emails they had in their inbox that morning, how many hours they put into work that, that week, how busy they are on their weekend. Workaholism and busyness is not only socially acceptable, but it is lionized. Now this is especially true uh, if you, uh, and especially dangerous if you are uh, educated, if you are at all upwardly mobile, uh, or if you live in a place like suburban Atlanta, where the opportunities uh, are endless to go to softball, to gymnastics, to music lessons, to the museum, if you've got family, or if you don't, to try out the new restaurant, to run around to complete all the errands, to go shopping, to visit family, to go on the quick trip, to go to the game. Ask anyone, how are you, how's it going, and what are you likely to hear? I'm good, but busy. It, it's across class, across generation, across gender, single moms, retired couples, teenagers, it doesn't matter. To say I'm busy is to say I matter. 
I really do. Our culture has programmed us to believe that if you're not busy, you're not valuable. Do you know in all of Scripture, only one person is ever described as busy? In Job 1, we read, The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. That could be our personal mission statement. Whether you identify with the workaholic or the careerist or you're the stay-at-home mom or just simply retired, wherever you are, what happens to so many of us is that we speed up our life to the pace of hurry and overload just to cram it all in, running from thing to thing to thing, from the work to gym to the drinks to, to drinks with friends to church to community. And, we, and, and as we do... It does something to our soul. There is a kind of busyness that goes past our schedule and the miles on our dashboard and goes into our inner man or woman. Author Corey Tinboom said, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. Both have the same effect. Busyness and sin both cut you off from your awareness of and your connection to God and the life that he has for you. But friends, this is not how it was meant to be. Let's read from Genesis chapter two. If you have your Bible, it's in the far front. There's also some Bibles on the back table uh, if you would like them. Genesis chapter two, we read this. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Now, one quick point. Um, if you go back to the Genesis 1, if you're familiar with the Genesis 1 narrative, you'll know that there's a rhythm to the creation order, right? God creates something, and then he declares, it was good, then the evening and the morning the first day. And he does it again, evening and morning the second day. When we come to the seventh day, there is no evening and morning refrain. And some postulate I'm not saying that this is exactly what the author intended, but some postulate that that was on purpose. That God created the seventh day for us to live in eternal rest in union with him, enjoying his creation. In his goodness, God has woven into creation this holy, restorative day where we spend time and commune with him. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive deeper in. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, we pray um, that you would uh, work through brokenness, that you would work through sin, 
um, chiefly that you would work through your spirit uh, in your scripture uh, to speak to us that we may encounter the refreshing rest of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, let's look. Again, we're going to dive in. We're going to pick apart these, these verses. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested. God rested. Yeah, Drew, but, I, you know, I'm really type A and God rested. Well, you forget what it's like to have little kids, but uh, no, God rested. Yeah, but you know, you're not an executive, a demanding job. You don't really get how, mm, God rested. But my personality type is really kind of a doer, and you know, I'm not really into this legalism thing. God rested. After six days of creation, you think your work week was productive? What do you got to show for it? A lot of emails? I mean, I slayed it. God rested. And the word rested here in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word Shabbat. Um, it means to cease. And the idea here is, is not that God was tired or burned out. Um, the, the idea here was, uh, it's kind of like whenever you, you work to like mow your, mow your lawn and you pick up all the brush and you gather, uh, you, you gather the brush and you start a fire and then you cook like this nice juicy steak over it and at the end of it you sit back and you rest in all the good work that you've done. That's the idea going on here. Some actually talk about, you know, there's kind of peculiar language. Did you catch that when I was reading these first two, first two verses? There's kind of peculiar language here. Um, it says, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. It kind of makes it sound like, like God created something else on the Sabbath. And rabbis suggest that on the seventh day, God created manuha which uh, is a Hebrew word that we translate as rest, but it's really the kind of, uh, kind of a rest that is a party, a joyful, peaceful celebration. The Sabbath, you see, is a whole day set aside to follow God's example of stopping and delighting, of enjoying in what he has done. Delighting in the world and your life in it and above all, in God himself. To Sabbath, therefore, means to stop working, right? To stop thinking about work, to stop worrying about work. But beyond that, it also means to uh, stop trying to get ahead of the to-do list around the house. But even further than that, it means to stop wanting, to stop coveting, in an effort to index our hearts away from greed and discontentment and restlessness, we rest and instead index our heart towards contentment, towards restfulness, towards gratitude for God in the way of Christ. Um, in my household, the Sabbath is also a day to rest from stress and worry and sadness. Not that we suppress those emotions, but we just try to deal with them a different day in the same way you would Christmas or a birthday. 
to Sabbath is to, re- is to rest and to delight in God, in his goodness, and in his grace for us, and to enjoy all of his gifts for us. God's purpose for us, man's chief end, if you will, is to rest and be at peace in his grace and all that God has done for you. Dan Allender, he writes this, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day uh, of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, take naps, Parents get it? Uh, Sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath to sanctify it and to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. Here's a great question to ask yourselves. What could I do for 24 hours that would bring me deep, lasting joy that would cause me to spontaneously sigh and exhale, it is very good. For me, that means I'm with my family and we're enjoying one another. It means that unless your last name is McCarty or you're dying, I'm sorry, I'll talk to you tomorrow. It means I'm eating my favorite foods, and typically a lot of them. It means homemade bread and a bottle of wine. It means taking a nap. It means long cuddles over stacks of books with the kids. It means a weekly Christmas, but without all the stress or the weird uncles, right? It it means this weekly celebration of all that is good and beautiful and true. It means that we end our Sabbath cuddling on the couch, watching a family movie. The Sabbath is a day that we feed our soul with all that is good and beautiful and true in a world that is still so full of evil, ugliness, and lies. You know, our minds are trained by the devices that we carry in our front left pocket to see the world in more and more of a negative light. But the Sabbath is a way to reorient and retrain, retune our minds back to delight in what is good, what is beautiful, and what is true. All right, let's keep going. Genesis 2, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day. All right, we didn't get very far. We got stuff there. If we go back to Genesis 1, God blesses two things in Genesis 1. He blesses animals in verse 22, and he blesses humans in verses 28. And what's the blessing? It's to be fruitful and multiply. In Genesis 2, he blesses the Sabbath. 
So think about that. The Sabbath, just like animals and humans, has a life-giving ability to fill the world and your soul with more life. Listen, life is tiring. It doesn't matter how much you love your job by the end of the week. We are more tired. We are more negative, worn, bleak, have less self-control and discipline. But rest refills us with creativity, with vision, with optimism, with peace, clarity, hope. Rest is life-giving. But Sabbath is more than just a just a day. It's a blessed day. So let me pause here. Do we see the connection and the parallel between entering into a Sabbath rest and experiencing, resting in, and delighting in Jesus? At least once or twice a month, we, Mitchell usually alludes to this passage in Matthew 11. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's no coincidence that right after Jesus says this, Matthew gives us three stories about things that Jesus does on the Sabbath. So in the next chapter, one of those stories is this. He went on from there, Jesus went on from there, and he entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and he asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. The Sabbath is a day of healing, a day of salvation. Um, in fact, uh, a good portion of Jesus' healing ministry miracles happened on the Sabbath. The root, ca- the root word um, of the word that we translate Sabbath is uh, solve, like an ointment, that you put on a wound for healing? The Sabbath is a means by which Jesus does some of his best healing work on our minds, on our body, and our soul. We see why Jesus might call himself the Lord of the Sabbath. I don't know, are are any of you um, tired of working restlessly just so you can buy the next thing on Amazon? Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He invites you to rhythmically experience his rest. Do you feel drained and maybe a little bitter from all your toil? The Lord of the Sabbath has blessed this day that it might give life. Experience it to the Lord. It's a gift. It's a day to remember his grace to you. It's a day to sit at the Father's table and remember that you were made in his image, deeply loved and cherished, a child of God. 
It's a day to resist the temptation of thinking about what you want and the cares of the world, and instead to focus on what God has already given you and trust in his sovereignty. It's a day to level the playing field, to remember that regardless of your income level, to re- regardless of your educational achievement, your skin cover, you are made to rest and experience the Lord of rest. It's a day to experience Jesus' restoration and salvation, a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. The Sabbath day is a blessed day, but let's go back to Genesis 2. It's also a holy day. God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Go back to Genesis 1. Of everything that God created, only one thing he described as holy, and it was this day. It was time. Now, for, it, for the original readers, this would have jumped off the page. Because in every other religion, the thing that, that, that God makes holy is always a place, a location. It's a, a temple or a mountain or a shrine. But here, God makes a day holy. One theologian said, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. Do you know what that means? To experience God, you don't need to pilgrimage to the Holy Land or to St. Peter's Cathedral. All you need to do is stop and rest and enter his Sabbath. The whole world is our God's temple. We just need to stop and experience him. Just before... uh, God gives us the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. Israel is in the wilderness, right? They're, they're, they're wandering in the wilderness. Uh, so they have no farm. They have no livestock. Um, they're living off the generosity of God. And so this passage is a little long. Bear with me. I'm going to try to read it kind of fast. Uh, but uh, it's an important, uh, important piece uh, here. So Exodus chapter 16, we read this. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, uh, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked down uh, toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall uh, be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay uh, around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Then we skip down to verse 21. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. 
So they laid it aside till morning and Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it, which is always good for breakfast. Um, Moses uh, said, uh, eat it today for today is a Sabbath. And again, the same phrase, a Sabbath to the Lord. Today, you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people were really type A and they went out uh, to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given, a gift, has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of this place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. See, the, the Sabbath is not the same thing as a day off. It's a day to the Lord, holy, set apart, a special day. You see, a day off is, is, is just a, a time when we don't work for our employer, but we run our errands and we mow our lawn and we pay our bills and we may go see a movie or go shopping or eat out. Um, we may make an Ikea run, which takes up like you know, six hours of our day. Um, uh, you know, a day off is, uh, is, is just when undisciplined or unsabbathed people catch up on the, all the other stuff that they have to do through the week. Eugene Peterson calls this a bastard Sabbath, the illegitimate child of the seventh day in American culture. The Sabbath is not the same thing as a day off, nor, and hear me, hear me rightly, nor is it just Sunday church. Sunday means a lot of things, a lot of different things to different people. To the consumer, Sunday's a day to shop. To the doer, it's the, a day to get things done. To the careerist, it's a day to get a head start on the week. Uh, to the sports fan, it's a day to go watch the game. Uh, for those who, accept, who thirst for acceptance, it's a day uh, to spend as much time as possible uh, getting affirmed around our friends and entertaining ourselves. For church people, it's often a day where we go and worship um, and, and then we just kind of day off ourselves. You know, just go sit on the couch and watch the game and just kind of veg out for the rest of the day. We oftentimes confuse relaxation with rest and restoration, and they're not the same thing. The Sabbath is a holy day to the Lord, a day that is set apart, that is dedicated to God. It's a day to experience wonder and awe and delight and gratitude and joy in God's presence. So this is what I do to help me determine um, because there's a real risk here of the Sabbath turning into this legalistic thing. As I grew up in that culture a little bit uh, where it, I couldn't get gas on the Sabbath. That's what it felt like. Or that's, that, that's really what we did. We tried to go get gas on Saturday. Um, but anyway, uh, that's not what the intent is here. Um, so what I do to help me discern whether my activity is restful, is, is, is restorative or not, is I run everything through this grid. Is this rest and is this worship? And by worship, I don't mean just like sit at home and read my Bible all day and pray and like sing Bethel songs or something. 
Um, to, to worship, I mean uh, to intentionally feed my soul with beauty in order to prompt wonder and awe, delight, gratitude, and joy in God's presence. You see, there, there's a way of curating beauty that will lead to whole life worship. There's a way to thoughtfully and intentionally practice being a child of God, a son of the king, a forgiven sinner who rests in the arms of his savior. So yes, to Sabbath does mean to come to church, to study the Bible, to pray, but we can expand our list of spiritual disciplines to include drinking a glass of wine to the glory of God or playing in the backyard with the kids or taking a hike through God's creation or just delighting in the fellowship of our friends. All right, so I want to kind of bring this plane to a landing um, with some real practical kind of like, what does this actually look like? Um, because uh, the reality is, while we, we're, we're familiar with the language of the Sabbath, I would venture to guess that many of us um, are not accustomed to celebrating and practicing a rhythm of Sabbath rest. And listen, the Sabbath is not something that's going to happen uh, on accident. It's a deliberate, intentional, countercultural practice. Uh, if you just try to let the Sabbath happen, then more than likely, uh, it's just going, to, going uh, to take the path of least resistance, and it'll end up being, as Eugene Peterson says, a bastard Sabbath. Sabbath, ironically, requires a little bit of work. To Sabbath really well requires that we live uh, in a spirit uh, of restfulness all week so that... Uh, uh, so that by the end of the week, uh, we don't just crash and have no capacity to delight. So, first thing um, is we have to decide uh, that we are going to enter into rest. So, a traditional Sabbath, historically through centuries and centuries, um, has started for the Jews on Friday night and gone all the way through. Friday night, uh, I think it's 20, maybe it's 40, uh, minutes before sundown on Friday night and goes until 20 or 40 minutes before sundown on Saturday. Now, in the Christian tradition, that has been moved primarily, understanding of Sabbath has been moved to correspond with the Lord's day, Jesus' resurrection. Um, but uh, I, I, I think there's grace there as to what day you practice your Sabbath. Um, for me and my family, we actually do practice our Sabbath. We have been practicing our Sabbath from Friday night to uh, into Saturday. That's because of my work schedule. We're about to transition that into Saturday into Sunday. Uh, for most of us, I think Saturday into Sunday makes a lot of sense. It probably works well. Um, but the reason it starts on, on Friday night is because, again, back in the Genesis account, that refrain that we get in Genesis 1, evening and morning, notice the order, evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day. So in the Jewish mind, that day begins at sundown. So that's when their Sabbath begins. And there's something 
there's no hard rule about this, okay? But there is something that I personally really like about that ancient uh, tradition because it teaches us that time is outside of our control and it teaches us to stop not when we're done because we're never done. It teaches us to stop when we're out of time. So first, decide you're going to enter into a Sabbath rest. And secondly, prepare uh, to rest. So three times in the New Testament, the 24 hours prior to the Sabbath is called the day of preparation. That is, that is a common language that you hear in the New Testament. So that time, that 24 hours prior to the Sabbath is the time that you need to do whatever you need to do to get whatever in order you need to get in order so that you can actually delight on the Sabbath. Now, now that doesn't mean you have to get it all done. For me and my family, it's when our kids, and mainly my wife, not me, to be perfectly honest, uh, cleans the house. We have, we have pre-Sabbath chores, uh, if you will. You see, one of the things uh, that the Sabbath teaches us is there comes a day when you just have to let it be done. One of the beautiful things about the Sabbath is uh, you, you take a day away from your week, and guess what? The universe gets on just fine without you. It's a reminder that there is a God and he's not me. It's a reminder that he is the Father and I am his Son. It's a reminder that my identity is not in what I do, whether I killed it at work or not, whether I achieve the status of important or not. My identity is in the one who loves me. My identity is the one who writes my name on the palm of, him, uh, on the palm of his hand and makes me his. You see, I am not my to-do list. I am not my paycheck. I am not my title at work. I'm not my high score. I'm not my singleness. I am the one that I am loved by. Decide that you want to enter into a Sabbath rest. Prepare for that day. And lastly, Make a plan. In my, ha in my house, we have, uh, we start uh, our Sabbath. I want to give you, I want to give you an example of what we do, um, uh, how, what my family's tradition around the Sabbath is. Uh, you know, take the meat, spit out the bone, um, uh, you know, a metaphor that doesn't work for vegetarians. But, um, so uh, on my, uh, as I said, our Sabbath is on Friday. So I come home from work. Um, and I come home from work, and our table is set uh, with actual glass plates. We have four kids, 10, 8, 6, and 4. So normally we have plastic plates throughout the whole, whole week. But on the Sabbath, oh, we splurge for glass plates and actual glass glasses. You know, you know. Uh, and so and, and in addition to that, we also have uh, linen tablecloths on the table. We have candles on the table um, uh, and so forth. We've got two candles which is also kind of a traditional Sabbath, uh, Sabbath decor, uh, if you will. And uh, the tradition is usually the woman of the house, the, the, the mother, the matriarch of the house lights the Sabbath candles to kind of begin the Sabbath uh, day. 
well, we have the two candles on the table. By the time I get home, oftentimes my kids have, you know, lit them and blown them out several times, gotten them all ready to go, right? Um, and then, in the meantime, my wife, who throughout the week does not eat carbs, does not eat sugar, is baking fresh bread and homemade dessert. Amen, right? Um, and so then, now, as I said, traditionally it's 20 minutes before sundown. We don't really follow that. We, do, we eat about six o'clock because whatever. But, we, but at, so around six o'clock, we call the kids to the table. My wife prays, lights the candles, and we begin our Sabbath. And then, just give you a little sense of this, uh, I want to read to you, uh, uh, read to you part of what our, our liturgy is, what our tradition is, what our rhythm is. So uh, after we start, after my wife prays, uh, I go over to my son Judah, I lay my hands on him, and I pray for him, and I pray this, uh, may the Lord make you like Ephraim and Manasseh and give you the faith of Abraham, the heart of David, and the righteousness of Christ as you build our family from generation to generation. And I pray for him for his soul, for his relationship with Jesus. Then my wife stands up. She puts her hand on, her daughter, our, on our daughters, and she prays, may the Lord make you like Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah, and give you the heart of Ruth, the faith of Mary, the righteousness of Christ, as you build our family from generation to generation. And then, as is, as is custom and traditional, uh, we, uh, my kids and myself, uh, my kids all stand up, and we, uh, we recite, I'm not going to do it because it's this entire page, it's pretty long, um, we recite a prayer and a blessing over my wife, their mother, which is uh, a section out of Proverbs 31. Uh, and then from there, um, we uh, we pray over and we, uh, we pray over the, the bread and, uh, and the wine, the juice. Uh, and, uh, and then from there, we sing this song, which is a traditional Jewish song um, called Shabbat Shalom. Um, I, I, I'm really debating if I should give you a little foretaste of it, so I, I will now that I've, I've said that. Uh, it goes a little bit like this. It's kind of geeky, kind of nerdy. There's some clapping in between, but we got, we got young kids, so it works. Uh, it goes something like Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom, Shabbat, 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 Shalom. And it does that for a couple of refrains, and then that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of it. And then we all toast, and then we dig in every week to this feast of nice, juicy red. If, you, if, you, if you're cooking your steak beyond kind of medium rare, then you're doing it wrong, and somebody needs to teach you to Sabbath properly. We, 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 we dig into this juicy steak, homemade macaroni and cheese, homemade bread, some broccoli, and then, of course, best of all, we have dessert, homemade dessert, right? And, and what I've tr started trying to do, I don't know if you know this, but it, it, there's these two buttons on your phone. If you push both of them at the same time, it, we usually do that when it's like glitchy and stuff, but you can actually just it, it actually just turns off, and you can just leave it that way. Um, I don't know if you know that, if you know this, but you know, the, the, the makers of this little demonic device, you know, whenever, they, whenever they made it, it, it flashes a little logo. It has, a, has an apple with a bite cut out of it, you know, like you're in the Garden of Eden or something. 
you know, kind of this reminder that you've been eating from the wrong tree all week long. Um, so what I've started to try to do is to just turn that phone off and to ignore it, at least from dinner through the end of the day. What I'd like to do is do it for the entire 24 hours. And then we go to bed, and on Saturday, my wife and I get to sleep in because the kids can uh, play video games. Sleeping in my house is anything past six o'clock, but nonetheless, it feels good. Uh, and then when we wake up, uh, we go downstairs, and I went and I bought this. I bought this specifically for Sabbath. We've got a, a waffle maker, and it's about two, two and a half inches thick. And it's to make stuffed waffles. So we go down and we make homemade, we make, we make fresh waffle batter uh, in, on Saturday morning. And, and then whatever leftover dessert that we had the day before, we stick it right in the middle of those waffles. Brownies are the best. Just so you know, you don't have to experiment. Brownies are the best. Uh, but if we're, if we're out of dessert, because we, 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 we binged it all the night before, that's okay. We, we'll throw chocolate chips or something in there. And then we make it, and then the kids will pour syrup on or just sugar. I mean, it's just a sugar overload, right? Saturdays in our house are great. Um, and we do this. Uh, we do this because there is an old Jewish tradition where the father would give their children a spoonful of honey so that they would always remember the sweetness of God's rest. Then we go on about our day with purposeful intent, embracing the reality that was in front of us, rather than being distracted by the realities on our phone or the length of our to-do list or the size of our waiting inbox. I've been practicing Sabbath in this tradition and in this rhythm for probably about four years now. And let me just tell you that it's the closest thing that I've experienced to the Garden of Eden. Now, that doesn't mean it's always easy. Some weeks it's quite hard. But there are weeks that it's beautiful. And it, regardless of the week, God never ceases to show up. Now, I'm willing to bet that some of you are really wanting some stuffed waffles right now. Or maybe just that juicy steak. I want your hunger for those stuffed waffles to stay with you and I want you to hear the Lord your God saying to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I am well pleased with you. Can we just eat together? Can we just spend the day with one another? Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. 
If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.